dear ones, for this um, afternoon's meditation. Let's all turn to the book of Acts, chapter 14. The book of Acts, chapter 14. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude both of the Jews and also of the Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided and part held with the Jews and part with the, gent with the apostles. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it and fled into Lystra, unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel, and there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright upon thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lycaonia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then this priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. Which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness, and with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had done sacrifice unto them. They had not done sacrifice unto them. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium and persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day 
he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed through out Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down into Atalia and then sailed into to Antioch from whence they, they had been re recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were, they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode a long time with the disciples. I've read the whole chapter. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. We have here an account of the Apostle Paul, not unfamiliar to us. We've heard this many times, I'm sure, in the past. This was at the very beginning of Paul's ministry. This was at the very beginning of what would be Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. And as we can see, Paul Although a Jew, although taught in the law of Moses by Gamaliel, the rabbi or the teacher that he was raised at, you can go back to Acts chapter 3, 4, 5, you will see there that the, the um, challenges that the earlier church had and Gamaliel was involved there when he told the Jews, why do you fight against these people why do you you might be fighting against God if it's from God it will stand if it's not from God it will not stand and Paul now who was present there in the early church as a very as a matter of fact at at the very um, I believe it was the seventh chapter where we see Stephen was stoned giving glory to God, seeing Jesus Christ on the right hand of God and Paul holding the, the clothes of, of those that would stone Stephen. Paul was very much an intricate part of the early church history, if you will. Possibly part of the Sanhedrin, the 70 plus one elders that governed the, the religious state of Israel. And now, some seven chapters later, Paul is now already, after his dramatic conversion, um, on the way to Damascus, uh, after meeting with uh, Ananias and, and Ananias baptizing him, saying, Arise, what do you wait for? Why you, what hinders you? Arise, be baptized in the, uh, washing away your sins, he said, in the name of the Lord. And... Then Paul is, 
has, was selected in Antioch to go with Barnabas to, to go forth to uh, um, give his understanding to the council at Jerusalem later on after many in the church that were Jews wanted to enforce the law of Moses. And how this, this person that caused the, nation, the, the church to blaspheme by causing them to renounce or trying to cause them to renounce Jesus Christ, here he is now in the middle of the Jews and the Gentiles in Lystra. And remember, I believe Lystra is the place where Timothy, the disciple, was discipled by the Apostle Paul on his return trip. When he came back from almost being stoned and he went back up into Derby and Lystra, as we see here. Um, you will meet Timothy, I believe, in chapter 15 or 16, in chapter 16. Now Paul is, instead of persecuting the church, instead of hailing people to prison, he is now a defender of the faith of Jesus Christ. And what is, what is um, very interesting or peculiar here is we don't have any atheists in this chapter. As a matter of fact, there are many polytheists, monotheists. They didn't have a problem here with atheists. Many people believed in God or a God or gods. And what was peculiar to me was that Paul, even though there was no difficulty in convincing the people of the land that there was such a thing as the supernatural creator God or in the minds of pagans creator gods, he had to still be persuasive to them as well. You would think that once you can believe and accept God, you can accept everything else that the Bible gives us, that the Word of God tells us. Isn't it interesting? Today you've got a, people debate and on and off and it's never an ending debate about whether God exists or not. But here we see Paul the Apostle in his very traditional way of arguing, not squabbling, but in terms of scientific arguments that he presented, he tried to convince the people of these cities on not only the existence of God, but the creator God, the one God, and also the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the monotheists. If you look at, if you look at, it's very fascinating to me as I uh, study the early church and also the early Roman Empire. It was full of religion, absolutely full of religion. At the time of Christ, Augustus Caesar was in power, followed by Tiberius Caesar, who 
was in his footsteps, if you will, and then followed by him was his great nephew um, Caligula. And followed by Caligula was Claudius. By the way, those first two are mentioned in the Bible. Claudius was mentioned in chapter 20 of this book of Acts. And then Nero, which, is the, which was like the stepson, if you will, of, of Claudius, is inferred or alluded to in the book of Timothy. Four emperors in one book. Or in, in, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, but one author was, was Luke, who wrote both the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And there was so much historical evidence of these emperors, of these peoples, and they were written down, and not only by the biblical writers, but also by extra-biblical writers, Suetonius and, and Philo, and, and, and you name them there, Livy, maybe, I'm not sure if he was involved, but he was a Roman poet. And, and there was so much written about this Christian sect and yet people still do not believe. They may believe in a God or in gods, but they just won't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul had to go through here much like he did. First of all, he fought off the, the Jews that, that followed him from Iconium. They followed him to Lystra and to Derbe. They were so upset at his first sermon, if you will, in Iconium. They were out to get him because he was bringing in these new teachings about the law and the, uh, not upholding the law and that there was this Messiah, Christ, who died on the cross. And they thought they, they were out to get him. Like gnashing their teeth probably, we're going to get that Saul, we're going to get that Paul. Maybe they even knew that he persecuted the Christians at one time. And how dare he change from that. And they followed him to the point where Paul was creating, if you will, havoc as he was in the opposite sense in chapter 7 of, of, of uh, um, Acts. He was creating havoc among the churches, you know, hailing them to the prisons. Now he's creating havoc amongst the Jewish world. Those that were not believing, those that were opposed to him. And this was not just, if you will, a bit of history. The very opposition that Paul had was some proof that he held on to something and believed something so deeply that he was willing to go to the death for it. Even as he got stoned in Lystra and they left him for dead, it is not clear whether he actually died, but they left him for dead. Some people thought that, you know, Christ, he swooned. He wasn't really dead. He was just out cold and then revived somehow later on. And that was a the explanation for his resurrection. Paul was left for dead. We don't know exactly what it was. But he did say at one stage, some, a brother approached me this morning and says, what does it mean 
when it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I knew a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Whether in the body or out of the body, I'm not sure. He knew. And some people believed that this out-of-body experience may have occurred when uh, Paul was actually stoned. When Paul was actually stoned, eh, and basically you've heard of these out-of-body experiences when people die? I don't know. But I do believe that was the Apostle Paul who experienced this out-of-body experience. Whether it, it doesn't say him exactly, but it, other evidence in that chapter points to it was the Apostle Paul. Because he was complaining to God about the thorn in the flesh. Three times I asked God to take this thorn in the flesh away from me. And every time God says, no, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my grace is made, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so he said, God had to send me this thorn in the flesh to keep me humble. Lest I should be exalted by this manifold number of, of uh, revelations he received. When he saw in the third heaven things that he could not even utter. Could not even speak about. But here we have the Jews have followed him to Lystra and they jumped upon him after the healing of this man and, and when he, once he healed these people, this, this man, they took him and notice what they do first. The people there want to honour him and Barnabas as they were the gods of Jupiter and Mercury. So when you hear in your past readings, he's a mercurial speaker, you know what they're talking about. They're referring to this God of Mercury. And they ascribed the God of Mercury to the Apostle Paul because he was the lead speaker, the chief speaker. And, and you notice how Paul and Barnabas didn't take this opportunity to become honoured. Because they know that no one is to be honoured by God. And they scarcely um, convinced them to stop the sacrifice. And they did. And then he says to them, Sirs, why do you these things? We also are men like you, like of like passions with you and preach unto you that which ye should turn from these vanities to the living God which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their ways own ways nevertheless he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce they restrained the people that they had not done sacrifice unto him, unto them. What is very clear with this one is this is exactly, with this particular incident, was this ex exactly how Paul would. manifest and reveal to 
the people that were in fact religious. As Paul said when he went to Mars Hills, I, 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 Mars Hill in Athens, I do perceive that you are a superstitious people because I see all these statues and gods. And here's one to the unknown God. I want to tell you about this one here. Has man changed? Has man changed today? Man has not changed. The, the human soul is corrupt. It's prone to sin. It is um, given the right circumstance and the right situation will sin to the point of murder and any other heinous crime they will do. Man has not changed. It's just that today we become far more sophisticated. We're far more equipped to try to counter the truths of God. And what the Apostle Paul was trying to show here is that there is a God that is real, that is true, that is this one true God that completely overcomes any other God that you may think of, that is all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient. You know, the Greeks had their Aristotle and Plato, and they had their philosophies, they had their wisdoms. You know, Aristotle also believed in this great being that was omnipotent, omniscient, all-wise. But they never called him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Man hasn't changed. Man is still choosing to believe what he wants to believe based upon what he know what he perceives to be true and if you look at it the decisions that we make today what we believe today some people try to pit they try to oppose on opposite poles faith and reason And they want to prove, they feel comfortable in doing so, that if I can reason my way out, you cannot oppose it because faith and reason do not mix. Just the other week we heard about Anthony Flew. Brother Edmund preached about Anthony Flew. The great, one of the greatest uh, proponents for atheism from England. Um... He was on the speak, uh, preaching circuit, if you will, for atheism until about 2004. In 2004, he came across and studied in depth, if you will, the whole idea of DNA and DNA replication. And he realized, and today, just amazing, you can go onto the YouTube, if you like, and you can look at in animated form what it takes 
to create chromosomes from protein. It looks like a General Motors assembly plant and more where these strands of protein are joined together to zip it up in a very systematic way where you have to have something like 500 different types of protein that must be strung along together in the exact order and with precision that will bring about a perfect human being. Anthony Flew, when he saw that, and he was a scientist, if you will, he had a scientific mind, he finally came to his knees and he made, and he wrote a book about there is a God, and he stroke out no God, which may have been a previous book. Instead of there is no God, he said there is, crossed out a uh, no, and put in a God. Now, he was a deist. He believed in a, uh, an intelligent creator being. And, uh, and, and the reason I started off the sermon the way I did is because he also believed that there is this creator God, but he hasn't come to the point yet where he can accept that this same creator God is the father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ is the one that, through the Holy Spirit, penned the words of this book. And so when people today, when they, th when they think that um, faith and reason don't mix, well, is, is faith really blind? Is faith really blind? That, oh, I just believe it because it sounds like a good idea. Everybody else is believing it. I don't have to see everything to believe it. But if you look at the, the way the Apostle Paul argued, he didn't argue from a vacuum, from nothing. He went back to creation. What is involved in acquiring knowledge today in, 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 the, in the realm of this world, in this present day and age, for the last who knows how many hundreds of years, right? Ever since they came up with the, the way the planets revolve, some thought we were geocentric. Everything revolved around the Earth. So we had this Copernican model where all the planets are revolving around the Earth, but they couldn't explain things. So they had to involve certain maneuvers by Mars and certain maneuvers by Jupiter and, and said, oh, this must happen because of this epicycle here. And that's how I can fix this model. That, that sort of fix why everything revolves around the Earth. Until along comes Johannes, uh, Johannes Kepler. He said, no, you got the wrong model. Your model's wrong. It's actually the sun that is the center of our solar system. And all the planets go around the sun. And when that happens, I can explain everything else to it. You don't have to put in all these epicycles of, you know, the regression of Mars and so forth. So science back then was faulty. And people felt that 
As long as I can deduce things in my head, in my mind, and reason, and it makes sense, it must be right. If I can't deduce it in my mind, it cannot be right. That's what you call, way back in the earlier centuries, they called rationalism. They felt that everything that... You can, you can know everything in the mind. The mind is the source of all knowledge. But some said, hang on a sec. Let me prove your theory by putting it to the test. With Copernicus, they looked at his model and said, I can see that your model doesn't fit. Because I can see how these planets are moving in the sky. It's not according to your model. So then he had to fix it up. Or some people have to measure things. You're telling me that, you know, gravity is nine meters a second. Well, let me measure that. Let me see how long it takes for this apple to fall down in a vacuum 200 feet, whatever it is, right? And they can measure with a ticker tape what the acceleration is. Or they can see, or they can feel, or they can sense. That's why they reject some theories. That's why they accept some theories. And people believe that it's only rationalism or now seeing, feeling, um, hearing, listening, sensing, measuring will tell me the truth about the world, where it came from. And therefore, has nothing to do with faith because faith is not explained like that in the Bible when you put these things together the rationalism the thinking and the empiricism which is the measurement that's what they call science is that how we think today Science has got all the answers. And faith is irrational. The Bible has never explained faith as irrational. As a matter of fact, not only here in, in, in um, the book of Acts chapter 14, but we read in many um, sermons that we've heard in the past in Romans chapter 1, he talks about because that which is made, which may be known of God, is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God is saying, I have shown you my power, I have shown you my glory i've shown you my wisdom and eventually anthony flew came to the realization that there was this intelligent power that did all of this that created everything men can do a lot of marvelous things they can gather data and they can put it into a computer and spit it out and come to conclusions but there are things that they cannot explain. 
Why is it that why is it that even though you yourself have not gone into the equations or you yourself have not done the measurements or you yourself have not made observations why do you accept that why do you accept that what does it take on your part what does it take on your part you know what it takes it takes faith in the person that is giving you these results I'm going to tell you something. Have you, um, have you ever heard of the theory if you live under a transmission line, you get cancer? Has anyone heard of that theory? Brother Edmund has. I have, a long time ago. That's why I stayed away from transmission lines. I'm going to give you cancer. You know why? Because some professor from UCLA, he writes a book and he does his tests and he does his... Um, analysis and gathers all his data he puts it into a computer and he spits out and says this will give you so many millirem of radiation a year and because of that the probability of you getting cancer is so much but da 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 and so forth and people believe it they accept it guess what happened about 30 years later the professor admitted that he cooked the results. He admitted it. He admitted publicly that I made this so I could make money, basically. I wrote a book and sold millions or whatever it was, and people believed it. What am I getting at? It took faith for people to believe that, whether it was good or bad. It took faith for them to believe that. Now, this professor had a motive. Going to become famous, going to become rich. I'm asking you again. I'm asking us all again. When you got at least 12 apostles that were with Christ and four of them wrote, or disciples slash apostles wrote the Gospels from four different angles, and you had all these other disciples that went out into the kingdom of Rome against the Roman machine, against the Jews, against the Gentiles, and were sticking their heads on the line. They weren't doing it to sell books. They weren't doing it to become popular. They weren't doing it to get on somebody's good side. They were doing it because they had evidence that demanded a verdict. They had seen the risen Christ. And that's why you had to be in a, an apostle who had to be a witness of his resurrection. An apostle had to be a witness of his resurrection. And the apostle Paul surely met the resurrected Christ on the way to Damascus. And he was a, a lucid, intelligent, um, some people doubt his articulation, but he was very articulate in his letters. Very point, to the point, and, 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 and eloquent in the way he wrote the history of the world as God had revealed it to him. The way he explained the law of Moses. 
The way he humbled himself after meeting the Christ made a 180 degree turn and went back and then started, instead of kicking against the pricks, instead of persecuting the church of Christ, he went and started preaching Christ and him crucified. And he got him into a lot of trouble. If you look at these emperors that were tired of Jewish uprisings and Jewish rabble-rousing, if you will, and that would snuff out the Jewish revolts and, and, and cause anyone to go to the cross that in any way opposed the Roman Empire. Why would Paul, in his right mind, if he was trying to sell a book or pretending that he was somebody or something, do that and put his life on the line? We, we believe what other people tell us and the Apostle Paul says, if someone else came in their own name, him, or was it Jesus, him you will believe. <laughs> when it comes to one that had been a witness of his resurrection, that had been there and had met the disciples that were witnesses of his resurrection. When Paul went to Jerusalem and he met Peter and James and John and, and the other disciples, and knew of James when he was beheaded. And they were in hiding, fightings without, fears within. And they give us witness. People would listen to fake news today, right? CNN and all these other stations, and they'll believe it. But when, some, when 12... We had a, a great song we used to sing as a choir... We have seen his glory. Twelve amazing men. Wish I could read it for you now. But these had gone out and were willing to lay down their lives. Paul knew he was going to get attacked. <coughs> Paul knew that, you know, dangers and perils await him. And when he had finished his journey down to Derby, he made an about turn, came back again through the same regions where he was persecuted, back up through Lystra, back up through Iconium, Iconium back through Bible, uh, to uh, Pamphylia. He went back the same way. You'd think he would have hightailed straight to Antioch the other way. No, he went back again, confirming the churches because they needed it. You see, faith is not abstract, it is not irrational, it is not a superstition, it is based on witness. It is based on people that have seen the Lord. Reason? Perception, faith. The foundation of faith is reason. Paul told Agrippa, I think, this was not done in a corner. This was not done somewhere in somebody's back room and they contrived this story and published it. 
This was done before the whole world. And Peter said the same thing on the day of Pentecost. You by wicked hands have crucified him. Peter writes, We have not followed cunningly devised fables. Paul writes, or Luke about Paul says here, God has not left himself without witness. There is enough evidence that demands a verdict that if we were to follow it, that if we were to truly seek God's face, he will reveal to you. Jesus said that, seek and you will find. Ask and it shall be given. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Problem is, we don't want to do those three steps. Is it way below us? Is it too cumbersome? Or is it the fact that living the Christian life is going to be tough? I don't want to start. If you read the word of God, you will see so many places where this comes out loud and clear of the evidence that is given by revelation of God himself to the world and revelation to the world through his word by 400 plus witnesses of his resurrection. I pray that I'm not going to say give God a chance. I'm not going to say give God a chance. What I want to say is for your own sake, for your own eternal destiny, Seek out. Try to disprove him from Scripture. From the Scripture, witness, evidence of witness. Evidence of the coherency of the entire Bible. Evidence of the data given in this book. Even modern day philosophers are beginning to rethink their positions. Because something that lasted this long, that was so coherent that this was not done in a corner, could not deny. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. A brother, find a hymn, please. Verse came to me concerning what we've heard this afternoon. This is the Apostle John, the one that Jesus said would not see death until he come in his power of his kingdom. Apostle John writes, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, 
with our eyes, which we have looked upon. And our hands have handled the word of life. May the Lord bless his word to him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.